Hello and welcome to Tape Notes, the podcast that looks behind the scenes at the magic of recording and producing music. Every episode we'll be reuniting an artist and producer and talking through some of the highlights from their collaboration in the studio. So join us as we lift the lid on the creative process and the inner workings of music production to see what lies beneath. Hello, I'm John Kennedy, and joining me for this episode of Tape Notes are Nova Twins and producer Jim Abyss to talk about how they recorded and produced the album Who Are The Girls? Nova Twins are an urban punk duo consisting of lead vocalist and guitarist Amy Love and bassist and backing vocalist Georgia South. Having been childhood friends and watched each other perform with their variety of acts, the pair joined forces in 2014, bringing together an array of influences from punk and metal to grime and hip-hop. In 2015, after a year of releasing music under the name Bratz, they released their first single as Nova Twins, Baseline Bitch, a thunderous genre crossover. It caught the attention of music industry veteran Rob Hallett, who signed the pair to his label Robotunes for the release of their first EP. Following that release, and having gained a reputation for their blistering live shows, touring with Skunk and Ancy, Wolf Alice and rap rock supergroup Prophets of Rage, they were quickly catapulted into the mainstream after Rage Against the Machine's Tom Morello tweeted, describing them as the best band he'd ever heard. In 2020, Nova Twins released their debut album Who Are The Girls on 333 Records crew with producer Jim Abyss. Full to the brim with explosive energy and tackling themes of racism and sexism, the album won them UK Breakthrough Band in the 2020 Heavy Music Awards, paving the way for women of colour in metal music. Continuing their rise, their most recent release sees them collaborate with chart toppers Bring Me The Horizon. Jim Abyss is a Grammy and Brit Award winning music producer from Cambridgeshire, England. Jim's career in music began at Spacewood Studios, where he trained under producer, engineer and mixer Owen Morris. Going on to work his way through the ranks in studios across London, Jim began working with producer Nelly Hooper, engineering albums for artists including David Gray, Björk and Massive Attack. Having established himself as a top engineer and mixer, Jim began to focus on more production roles, working with rock bands, editors and Kasabian. Always on the lookout for new talent, in 2006 he took on Arctic Monkeys, bringing to life their debut album, Whatever People Say I Am, That's What I'm Not, going on to win a Brit Award for Best British Album, as well as the 2007 Mercury Prize. His success continued when he asked Adele, at that point a backing singer, for some of her demos, leading to her chart-topping album 19 and Grammy-winning 21. Since then, Jim has continued to help bring new artists to the forefront, as well as develop the sound of many well-established ones, including Bombay Bicycle Club, Catfish and the Bottlemen, Tom Walker, Katie Tunstall and Amy MacDonald, among many others. Today, once again due to the Covid lockdown, I'm at home in Morden, South London, Amy and Georgia join me from their respective homes in Hastings, and Jim joins us from his studio in Saffron Walden. And what better way to start our conversation than by hearing something from the record? This is Devil's Face.
It is Devil's Face. It is Nova Twins from the album Who Are The Girls? And I'm very pleased to say that Nova Twins and producer Jim Abyss are connected to me via the internet. Hello, Amy. Hello, Georgia. Hello, Jim. Hi. 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 So I need to know where you all are because uh, of the continued up and down nature of lockdown or not lockdown. You're in different parts of the country. Yeah, me and Amy are in Hastings. But in different locations. Yeah. We're like one road away, but yeah. (laughs) And Jim? And I'm in my studio near Cambridge. Right. And the Hastings location, how long is that? Because I was assuming that we'd talk and you'd be in southeast London. But you recently moved to Hastings. Yeah, it's very recent. Probably like before lockdown, Amy, you moved here and then I moved like probably like a month after. So yeah, very recent, but we're loving it. Excellent. We've always been here anyway. We've always been kind of southeast London, but then we'd always come to Hastings on the weekend because we've got friends here and, you know, so yeah, always here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So a new experience, a new location uh, for Nova Twins. Um, but we're going to go back in time today because we're going to revisit the the early recordings and also the recordings that you re- made with Jim for the album Who Are The Girls? Um, and I guess when did you meet Jim and when did you start working together? It was a miracle. <laughs> We we always call it this weird chance of fate because me and Georgia for a long time, like we're independent kind of thing. And we'd always just gig, tour, not really think about singles in a way like a manager would think about it. You know, we would just go, you know, with G's family because they're all musical too. We'd just be gigging and it was great, you know. But then at some point we was like, we should probably do an album. It's been years. And people say, maybe we should do an album. We should do an album. And then um, we just wrote songs without even thinking about, well, you know, we do need a producer, but we're just writing songs and kind of locked ourselves away for like three months or something. It's not actually very long. And then came up with some material and it was thinking, right, well, now we need a producer. What the hell are we going to do? And there's always been this thing with us, hasn't there, G? We've always been like, we need to work with someone. We need to work with a particular person. And funny enough, we kind of see Jim's name before just by looking at great producers and stuff. But um never thought how could we contact him then out of the blue he just popped into our emails literally was like hey girls like i've heard your stuff's really cool like what you up to we were like what the hell (laughs) it was so weird we literally always say jim fell from the sky into our email (laughs) everyone's always like how did that happen because whenever we spoke to people it's always like how do you get in the room with a big producer how do you actually you must know someone or must be like a family friend or something but he literally fell out of the sky into our email when we needed a producer it was so weird it was so Jim probably has the insight of how that happened because we have no idea he just kind of came into our email and that was it so Jim spill the beans well yeah at the time I was just looking for something interesting to work on and I was looking at the Afropunk festival lineup and they were just featuring various things that were going to be on and Nova Twins popped up with a biog and a couple of links to videos and stuff. And I watched it and instantly thought it was a really interesting thing. But it was quite a weird route to meeting you, wasn't it? Because somebody I was working with actually messaged you. I was working with this band called Nothing But Thieves and they asked me what was the best thing I'd heard recently. And I said, Nova Twins. I thought it was this amazing combination of genres and ideas. And they're like, all right, cool. And unbeknownst to me, they'd messaged didn't they message you or something and said, "Yeah, oh, we're sitting. I'm sitting with this producer. I know he's working on our tracks. He thinks you're amazing, and you were looking for a producer." And he's and so it was like, "Oh my god, they're looking for a producer. How weird's this?" 
So, yeah, we managed to find contacts for you and get in touch. So it was really weird how we actually finally sort of spoke to each other. That is weird. And I remember, like, you was like, oh, come into my studio and we can just, like, chat. And me and Amy were like, oh, my God. We, like, went on this drive to your studio. To Saffron. To (laughs) Saffron Warden, yeah. We are like, where is this place? What's it going to be like? And we were so nervous. And then, um, yeah, we turned up into this, like, amazing studio. We've never been in a studio that beautiful. And it was literally just so sick. And then, yeah, we just got on. We just got on. We just sat and had a cup of tea and just chatted Mm. about. And... The notorious biscuit jar. The biscuit jar. Oh, don't. Oh, my God. Can they eat biscuits? I mean. That ruined me. (laughs) Yeah. Every day a full jar. Every night an empty jar. It was the deal breaker. And the food in general. I know we're going to be off topic, but we must say the food in Saffron Warden is off the bloody chain. It's so good. Like one of our favourite moments is eating together. Yeah, dinner every night was literally a ritual. Like the Greek, the Thai. Oh, don't. don't. (laughs) It sounds amazing. I think it's interesting though, because was this your first experience in a proper studio with a fully fledged producer because your way of creating and your way of both recording and performing in some ways has been quite haphazard and one of the things mm-hmm. that i mention or think of when i'm i say that is your relationship with drummers and for a while in the early days of nova twins you experimented with different drummers you even did one gig where you had a drummer who happened to be at the venue who had never heard your music before oh, and you just asked him to <laughs> drum along. So, so without that kind of sure way of what you were doing, by the time you got to gym, had that changed? Had you got a bit more experience? I mean, the drummer situation, I was always amazed at when you were telling me about that before. No, yeah, definitely. Like, But by the time we got to gym, we've done like so many festivals, um, some tours so um yeah we had our drummer locked down oh, we um, used two drummers yeah we did use two classic nova twins used two drummers in the studio which was tim nugent and george mcdonald and we used two because they're so different in style like tim brings a more kind of electronic kind of feel doesn't he? he's quite like could be a metronome he's like a ninja yeah yeah he's very used to playing along with sort of triggering things and and putting sounds along with what he does or playing to a machine or whatever he needs to do he's very used to those kind of things yeah so we used him for play fair because it does have to have that kind of hybrid sound and bullet as well and then george we did for the more kind of thrashy primitive heavier sounded tracks like taxi Mm. Vortex. And Vortex is the first song we're going to look at. So we'll hear George drumming there. So what did you present Jim? So you went to Saffron, you met up with him, you ate a lot of biscuits, you hung out, you got on. (laughs) It's very rock and roll. (laughs) (laughs) The crucial thing is you got on, you found a, a kind of chemistry and enjoyed each other's company. So then what did you say to them, Jim? I mean, did you ask for demos? Did you ask them to just come in and start recording? What was your idea? Well, first of all, I heard some demos and there's always been a conversation about seeing them live and we just couldn't actually do that at the time because they weren't doing any gigs. So the next best thing was to see a rehearsal. So they set up in a South London rehearsal room and I went down to hear it. And I had some ideas about what it might be like, but I wasn't really quite prepared for what I heard because being in this tiny rehearsal room, which is probably, I don't know, three metres square, 
and I was just sat in a, on a chair with the three of them in front of me. And when the bass started, well, I don't know, I almost fell over. It was so <laughs> unbelievably powerful. And I just didn't get that from the demos at all. I and mean, obviously the, the bass was important, but I didn't realise quite how important it was. And it fulfills many roles within the music. And it was vital to actually kind of hear that in the flesh rather than just going, okay, it's a bass line because it's so much more than that. And I think we'll come on to talk more about that, won't we, Georgia, about how you create your bass lines and sound. Yeah, but I remember before that you were like, oh, bring in some demos when we first had that meeting with you. And, you know, we were quite nervous because, like, we'd only just really started using Logic. Like, the demos were quite, like... Ropey. Not to, like, the standard, obviously, you would listen to demos. We were like, oh, I hope he, like, gets what we're thinking through these demos that are quite, like, basic. But, yeah, I think... Well, it, I know what you're saying, but I don't care how rough or rough and ready demos are. Actually, I like it when they are. they got the spirit, and your demos mm. had the spirit. They totally gave me the idea of what you were putting together in those first conversations we talked about the sort of ideas of borrowing from genres like you're massive r&b fans growing up and then you kind of got into noisy guitar stuff you know listening to more punk and metal-y stuff and trying to put flavors of those things into the music and that came across from the demos however mm. they sounded that was immediately there so we were chatting about how do you get those two things put together so that was already a conversation right from the get-go as far as I was concerned. Yeah, exactly. And I think what we previously struggled with we're live, we're a three-piece making noise. So there's no like backing track enhancing us. So when you're going through a huge PA, yeah, it's going to sound fat, but it was always really hard for us to translate the sonics, the bass and everything sonically on track, on record. And it was always a, a bit of a struggle for us. So obviously we'll get into it, but it was really nice with Jim is that hearing us in a basic form and it was straight into like DI. We didn't go through amps on our demos. It was just like DI. So everything was a little bit more squashed anyway. For him then to be able to understand that sonically and really just mm. make the most of the free piece we are and we were in the studio, you know, and just not tempted to be like, okay, well, let's put a synth to fatten this lineup because we were like, we don't want to use anything. And he was like, cool, I love that. Let's just roll with yeah, that. Yeah, that was and that's a big what we, thing. <laughs> we really respected about Jim that he wasn't trying to push like another idea onto us because it would be quite easy to want to do that and fill the space with just a three piece band. You know what I mean? But he was completely just like on it and understood and beyond that, you know, so that we was really lucky to be able to experience that work mm. in space together do you have a demo of vortex for us to listen to at all is that on hand i believe so let me just check what you have the me... demo uh, i believe so just let me to check oh my god <laughs> oh, jesus no. Christ. this is when we've literally improved since then this is going to be uh, so embarrassing <laughs> 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 Oh, it doesn't sound too bad. No, it sounds good. So where would you have recorded that? Just at home. Right. In London. So not in the rehearsal studio, but actually just in... No, this was like way before we went to even rehearse it. I mean, the essence is there, isn't it? Oh, one hundred percent. going to sound worse, to be fair. It, <laughs> it's, it's so, it sounds great. I think it totally gives the vibe of the tune. Well, we didn't 
mess with this, did we? We kind of did a liver yeah. version of it and added some stuff, layering-wise. Yeah, the essence is there, the ingredients are there, the arrangement is there. Yeah, 100%. I'm always intrigued to know what those ingredients are because one of the things that amazes me about Nova Twins is that when you hear the records, I mean, you can see and kind of hear different influences and hear different ingredients, but the specifics of what is being played is always much harder to work out, I think, mm. because of what the treatments that you're putting on the instruments. You know, it's like, I'm not sure what, <laughs> what instrument is, is playing that bass line. Is it the bass guitar or is it, you know, what are those squealing sounds? What's creating those? I mean, can you unravel that a little bit? On Vortex, there was really two elements. There was bass and guitar. That's the main um, instruments in it. There's the bass just going... Doo -doo, doo -doo, doo -doo, doo -doo, doo -doo. Then there's Amy's guitar that comes in halfway through that's like... Dee -dee. And that's it. But obviously, we've done it through like two amps mm. to kind of get that split kind of sound. But I think those two riffs just kind of sound really wide together. Mm. Also, the use of like percussion as well. Mm. From the demos, it was like obviously the fake claps, but then going into the studio, actually using like real claps and all of us, including Jim, clapping in the room. And I'm stuff. a good clapper. <laughs> <laughs> I think also, like you said, G, that the bass and guitar and the percussive kind of hip hop elements that are kind of rolling through the verses, which are really cool. And, and the um, kick drum is really important as well. It would be great if we could hear all those things as they were laid down. So yeah, I'll play some sort of constituent elements of this. I'll start with the drums. As uh, the girls were talking about, we replaced the sort of electro claps with some real claps. And then we wanted to kind of bring out that snare roll that just played a bit more. So there's like overdubs of snares on it. This is like the most satisfying snare roll sound. I, yeah. I love a snare mean. roll. It's so satisfying. Um. And this is all bass. Yeah. So those bits, the eh, 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 that's all bass, is it? Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's all played through in one take. I'll go through that again. I'll play that on its own. Yeah. So the bass is all played in one part. And how do you get that effect then? Georgia, give your secrets. That's just all on my pedal board. Even in the studio, I didn't tell Jim. I was, it was all taped up. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, the end of the first night, you were more worried that I was going to untape your pedal board. <laughs> no, I wasn't. Discover. It was crazy. <laughs> and you were like, you I don't care, Georgia. I don't care about your pedal board. <laughs> I did really. He was like, I don't care actually. <laughs> uh, no, well, this is this is. I was going to come on to this with your bass line. Obviously, you make a really unusual sound, but a lot of the bass lines don't sound like that if you just listen to what you were physically playing. But the way you use your pedals to sort of like change the sound and the notes and whatever, mm. you create these bass lines by. I mean, watching Georgia was part of the thing that blew me away when I went to rehearsal. Not only was the bass sound so powerful and an unusual and unique sound, you dance on the pedal board. And I know I kept going on about it, but it's an amazing thing to watch. It's a really physical thing. And I didn't realise, like, 
without the pedals on, it's almost a different baseline. How you creatively yeah. put the pedals together that makes it into the baseline. So it's a really unique thing that we had to bring to the fore of all the tracks. Yeah, and especially because because um, there wasn't any vocal. I remember we had to find a way to really like make it fill the space. And like it sounds like it's getting panned on the da -la -da -la. sounds like it's like yeah. panning back and forth. Well, this is this is another thing that if I can just go back for a second to when we were starting talking about this. The thing that you were re both really adamant about when we first started talking about how to record stuff, and what I absolutely loved was you kind of had a concept that you wanted this to be able to be played by the three of you. Mm -hmm. So you didn't mind if we used, you know, clever tricks to build stuff up for sections to make it sound different, but you didn't want, as you said, a new synth part or a new rhythm guitar part. You didn't want to just fill the track up with pointless overdubs. And that was a real challenge because even though you make really interesting sounds, to keep it really interesting for three and mm -hmm. a half minutes, you have to work on sections and do things to them to kind of keep the interest up. So we did we did layers you know, overdubs of the three constituent instruments up to make them more interesting, but they could all technically be played the by same the same people. Yeah. Mm. yeah, I think we just, we always wanted to be able to play it all live and all up until this point, we've literally always been able to play every part live. So we felt like we didn't want backing track on at the same time. We didn't want like, you know, a synth player. So to do the yeah. album in that way was really important to us, especially mm -hmm. for our debut album, because that was our whole ethos, like, forever. We're glad that you took that on board as well. It is interesting because when you see you perform live or just listening to the record, it is a puzzle. It's like, where are those sounds? How are they created? What are those sounds? And, you know, because so much of it sounds electronic. It sounds like it could be a Skrillex-type production that you put together and then you just kind of yeah, yeah. jump on top of that. And so it's interesting to hear that it's not like that at all. It's actually all played, like all those squeals and strange stretches that's all you jumping around on your pedal board, which is mad. Absolutely. Like, everything stems from like a live take of the bass, but then there are overdubs to bring out things just for the mm. sound. So, for example, the bass will be doing this. But there's also an overdub to make the sound of those high bit sounds to pop out. So, the thing panning in your headphones, just to bring those sounds out. And when you put it together... It just lifts those things out in stereo. Yeah. So like on this bit, there's the original bass line and then an overdub of a affected reverby version. But it's all just playing the same thing, just with different effects from Georgia. Amazing. How many pedals do you have, Georgia? I think when we did the album, probably like 11. But now our pedal board's grown. We actually can't even fit <laughs> the pedals that we've got on our boards anymore. It's a bit of a nightmare. We have to get like a little board on the side. I don't know. To be fair, all the pedals that I've got aren't like the best pedals. I think it's definitely like the combination of just how I use them really. Mm. And is that trial and error done when you're coming up with a tune, when you're coming up and writing something? You're fiddling around with all those pedals as you're developing the very start of the idea yeah so usually we make a beat to get the kind of feel of the song and then just sit there and just like go until something just slots in and sounds like great with the beat but i'd say definitely the beat comes first and then 
because when you're playing like by yourself you have to play to something like if I'm trying to just write with just bass find it really hard to just like get inspiration with like a vibe Mm. so definitely like create the whole beat and then put in the bass after to slot in with that feel and will the two of you be in the room when you're doing that responding to what's coming out is Amy saying oh I love that sound you've got to do something with that sound yeah definitely like this whole album we wrote it in this tiny room in my house and we were just like vibing it and we'll know because both of us are on the same page like when we feel like that's the right bass line or melody or anything we'd both be like ah oh, that's sick and then if it wasn't we'd both we'd just be sitting there like until the person gets it right I know we'd be like <laughs> we'd just be quiet in the room until we approve <laughs> and we're like <laughs> I know the most horrible just dead out vibe just like both of us just aren't loving this tune we're like we need to change it let's just like keep going and then when it slots in it's the best feeling because we're just like this is sick <laughs> and do you have a similar approach Amy with your guitar then do you have an equally big pedal board and are you playing around with sounds in that same way it's not equally as big i would say it's probably like i think i had eight at the time of the album but it's gone up thanks to um earthquake devices jim your buddies have now hey. they're now friends with us too are they oh cool yeah, yeah they sorted us sorted out. out oh they're so good earthquake yeah and i think the point is with the guitar is not to it's funny because traditionally a guitarist would play the lead but what i love about our band is that it's bass driven so it's the other way around so that what the guitar does kind of like a grime line i guess it will find the space in between so this particular track the guitar only comes in like halfway through and it's basically like a, it's just a high kind of siren. It reminds me of um, jump, jump. What's that tune? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's just got that kind of high pitch. Yeah, I've got to jump in. I definitely, I also agree with you about what I love about the guitar on this stuff is it reminds me of kind of like classic hip hop recordings like Dr. Dre stuff where it might just be a Moog synth doing some weird little line mm, or siren like noise it. or a sample or something. And your guitar fulfills that role a lot of the time. You don't have to be playing all the time. So when your sounds come in, you're ready for a new sound. Exactly. And I think that's what it's about. It's just having that, exactly what you said, like a sample, almost making it sound like a weird yeah. sample. It doesn't always sound like a guitar. Mm. Sometimes it does just to beef it up. But Let me find fun. a couple of things here. I'll see what we've got. That's like on your verses, you do mm. these kind of weird noises. There's the siren. And in context, it sounds like this. (laughs) (laughs) So satisfying. Sounds amazing. I mean, that's the amazing thing i think about the band is that if you were to just look at you on stage and you were all stood still you think oh it's a fairly conventional lineup you know you've got somebody with a bass guitar somebody with a guitar and then a drummer and then you start to play and you know the drums i guess you know they're still conventional drums but everything else isn't and that's the interesting thing and and that's i think it's one of the most exciting things about you but also possibly it could be an obstacle for you because people love to you know, compartmentalise and pigeonhole and understand just exactly what a band is and does. And with Nova Twins, that's very hard. I mean, you know, we can really get off on the whole performance and the sound and it's incredible, but it feels as if it could be one electronic 
bedroom producer making a load of noise and then just coming out and pressing play and fiddling with a few knobs yeah. but it's not like that i mean i i hope that doesn't sound uh no it's true negative or denigrating no i mean it, it seems amazing to me that it really, is really that's a compliment yeah. because we love you know electronic sounding ravey music mm. but we wanted to do it all on mm. bass and guitar and i remember when we played jim the demos he thought it was sims until we were like no we actually got massive pedibles and it's all on bass and guitar and he was like oh really i loved it more so I think that- <laughs> <laughs> yeah so I think that's why as well we wanted to make it so we could play it all so nobody mm. could say it is a synth or it is mm. a backing track mm. because it's so far from that. So I think to prove that we had to do it like back to basics and do it all live like that. Funny enough, I think a lot of that comes from us being kind of young women in the industry. I think at first we felt we had to prove ourselves a lot harder, so mm. much harder. And I think we had it in our heads that, okay, we need to make sure we play hard. We don't want anything on back and track. We can just do it all ourselves. We can do it all ourselves. And I think that's where that idea stemmed from. And if mm-hmm. anything, it's been a great thing. Now we, we love it. It came from a place, but now it's like, yeah, this is cool. We don't have to have all these things because I guess it's quite traditional for bands to have a lot of track on their live performances, which obviously sounds incredible. It sounds fat. And sometimes we're like, whoa. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, it's a different thing when you just feel like there's three people on stage just making a noise. It's a different feeling, I think, to know that you're not supported by anything. It's Mm. dangerous. (laughs) Yeah, it's great. So it's cool. It's interesting because from the demo through to working with Jim, we can hear that the essence of the song stays the same. And obviously for Jim, sometimes with his role, you might be producing in a different kind of way, Jim, because you might be more involved in the arrangement of a song or how a song gets shaped and is developed. But here, in a way, your approach, your job was to make the ideas fully realised in a way that could make them glisten as much as they possibly could. No, you're absolutely right. It may have seemed initially like a, a limitation. In some ways, it was a limitation because it would have been easier to to put some extra parts on it. And that's the standard mm-hmm. kind of practice in production is to put new things on. So sustaining the interest through three instruments, because that's the traditionally the essence of hip-hop and punk rock, just to have three instruments. And it's kind of when they start and stop playing and what they do is kind of limiting. That's a really interesting challenge as well. And I think we all got off on how do we make this yeah. as interesting and cool and great on headphones and all this and want people to see it live and then when they see it live it's like oh wow it's incredible they can do this the three of them neither should detract from the other they should be just slightly different sides of what the Mm. girls can do I remember we um, loved doing the middle eight of this song and making it really like, oh, that it was sounded fun. like magic when it burst oh, into yeah, that yeah. section. What <laughs> it was all the, just like the magic. <laughs> was it called the chick, the part, chick, chick parts thing? What did George have the percussion? Oh, it was yeah. like, chick, Are they, they're like the Moroccan, Moroccan, casta- the Moroccan... Moroccan castanet things. Well, I can't think what they were called. Someone Google it. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'll man. play some of this middle eight. I'll build it up. I'll play different percussion things. Yeah, it was great. Uh, so I think we started with this. And I think the claps were in, weren't they, as well? Kind of flamenco claps. <laughs> and then George played slightly different. We tuned the drums differently and played slightly different part on the drums as well. It's got that kind of Moroccan feel in general, isn't it? Mmm. Can make a song out of just this beat. 
And then I've got to put in with it your BVs. Um, what's the bass doing here? So already it's a completely different kind of feel of this section. And in context. So it's kind of like the sort of dream sequence on either side of it. You've got the full on it's so mayhem. So dreamy. And Amy's vocal, and it's like, sounds like a kind of radio y yeah. effect. It's like, yeah, I love it. <laughs> it's really interesting because it's a, a great illustration of the potential of what's going to happen in the future with Nova Twins and how you evolve and develop your sound. Because in some ways, you know, with mm -hmm. the album, with the debut album, it's a massive sonic explosion. And you really hit us over the head with what you're doing. Um, but there are so <laughs> many different subtleties within what you do that I suspect you're going to be drawing out over future projects, you know, mm. and kind of surprising us uh, that actually all along we can do this and we can do that as well. <laughs> and I can't wait to hear it all. It's fascinating. Um, but Vortex, the song, I mean, in some ways, I mean, this is the the kind of calling card of the band is it i mean it, this gives us the title of the album who are the girls i mean is mm. this your response to people's reaction to nova twins in the early days and what you were doing i think this song was the first song that really sounded electronic it was like the first song that crossed over into the kind of newer album sound I remember when we wrote this we were like this is kind of where we want to where go we want to go with it now yeah mm. so i think that's why we really loved and love that song and kind of based the album off that song. Mm. And the concept of it just being like, it's almost like it was our kind of arrival, but also for everybody else who kind of felt the same, like always had the kind of door slammed in their face. Mm. So it was that kind of, we're on your doorstep now, you can't do anything about it with or without your permission. And I think we just wanted a song that was representative of everyone who just doesn't have a voice that's why we've got this whole thing right at the moment which is like voices for the unheard and I think Vortex is a representative of that concept so it's who are the girls all the faceless people out there are doing stuff but you might not recognize them so it was that concept that spurred on mm. the yeah. album title yeah and it's a great way to open the album isn't it I mean it's a big statement and it kind of raises these questions and as you say, mm. it kind of breaks down that door and says, right, well, we're here. We've arrived. We're here now. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> it's happening. Um, where did the recording come in terms of the evolution of the album? Was this one of the first songs that you worked on? Yeah, it was one of the first ones. We did mm. one song called Undertaker, which was the kind of introduction to see how we would work together in the studio. And that went really well. But this was, I think, the next thing we recorded, wasn't it? It was the first album song. I think so. Yeah, it was. Definitely. I think so. <laughs> Yeah. I think so. <laughs> like, Memory. Uh, I think we did a bunch, on. didn't we? Do a few. But yeah. maybe this one was definitely in the first batch. Of, yeah. Uh, I could imagine sure. this being the first one after our kind of Undertaker. Yeah. Yeah. Yesterday. Yeah. Is this going to work out, kind of thing? George played yeah. a blinder on this song as well. Yeah. He really yeah. like cemented that beat, that kind of yeah, G Mac. Yeah, the drumming's amazing. So this would have been when 
late 2018 is that what we're talking or maybe january 2019 or, yeah i think right. it was ju- early 2019 yeah mm. because one of the great things for us here at take notes is that when jim came in to talk about bombay bicycle club and um either before or after we got started nova twins came up and jim said oh i'm working with nova twins at the moment and uh, you know i was really excited about this so it's really great to kind of have gone from that conversation to be able to do this with you today. Yeah, it's wicked. Um, you know, just because, because we've never was... been able to do anything like this, just be able to express or actually even break down. We don't even think about it. You make the album and then you have to do all the kind of PR. You usually do the touring unless a world pandemic happens. <laughs> yeah. But it's amazing just to be able to actually just, for us all just to remember. And reflect. It's, it's, yeah. And reflect because you forget. It's nice. Should we have a, a blast of the finished Vortex and then move on to the next song we're going to look at? Absolutely. Like a bombshell, scrunch your face like a bass bell. I can tell that they love it when the hips swell. Wash the hair, get a static from the flip twirls. Shake, 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 take your brain melts. We don't care if you got it or you need help. If you haven't got the rhythm, you can learn how to slap it down, pick it out, turn around, drop a bounce. We'll be loud. We're Is just so good. So Vortex by Nova Twins. And in terms of the drumming, in terms of your instructions to George and also to Tim, um, are you direct? Do you have specific ideas that you want to get them to replicate? Because obviously with Vortex as an example, you know, it does that kind of military beat, but then it goes in other mm. directions. Mm. Yeah, um, we're very like kind of when we create a beat we are like stick to the beat <laughs> like yeah they get quite annoyed of our language actually sometimes we're like no obviously we're not drummers so our uh, technicality is not always correct so we're like yeah something like this and they're just like what the hell does that mean <laughs> or sometimes where you're playing it on logic on a keyboard I remember Tim sometimes like, I don't have that many hands to actually play what you've done on Logic. So then we'd have to find like a more a logical way for a drummer to actually play that beat, yeah. but definitely stick to the main beat. Challenging. Um, but exciting to work with in the studio, I would think, Jim. Yeah, absolutely. I don't really have any more to add to that. I mean, yeah, they yeah. summed it up perfectly. I do remember with this particular beat in rehearsal, it took us a while to find the beat to slot in with the bass because it's like a do-do-do-do. I think that was the main thing with this beat. So we went through a few oh, where to that's place right. like was, the snare. Yeah, there was like one kick or something that was that didn't feel quite right. That was like weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the essence of it hasn't really changed. It was just a tiny tweak of feel somewhere. Mm. And George would put some like gorgeous feels in there yeah, towards the end. Style. His flourish would be like just go ham on it. And he'll be like... <laughs> Actually, that, that's a very good point. I think the only thing is picking how much performance you kind of allow into it. Because yeah. you want the basic groove, especially the verses want to be that kind of hip-hop groove. And then you want the choruses to be more powerful. And by the end, you want it to be varying and going a bit more crazy. So it's how much mm. how much you let someone just let rip. That's really yeah. more of the kind of decision in the takes, wasn't it, at the time? Yeah. So when he did one, we'd be like, that's the one. <laughs> yeah. We'd do like a pass of different feels sometimes. But yeah, go for that one. Mm. That's it. <laughs> 
You may have heard us talk about Tape It before, and if you haven't, then let me fill you in, as they are the sponsor of today's episode with a fantastic offer for you. Tape It is an iPhone recording app made by musicians for musicians. Many of our guests on Tape Notes, music industry friends and listeners rely on voice notes to record their early ideas. People like the Lumineers, Ezra Collective and Fred again have all shared recordings with us made on voice notes. But what you wouldn't have heard are the long pauses where they're searching for those recordings. We wouldn't want to put you through that. As you can understand, organising and finding the right notes, let alone a specific part, can be a nightmare. Tape It solves all of that voice memo chaos with intuitive labelling features, including automatic instrument detection, markers and collaborative mixtapes, meaning you can share band practices, organise set lists and brainstorm ideas with co-writers and band members. Plus, you can record straight from your lock screen and attach text and photo notes to each recording. One of our favourite features within Tape It Pro is that you can record in stereo using two microphones along with gentler dynamic compression to give a much more natural sound than any of the usual apps. It's a huge upgrade to the microphone and all-round audio quality. It really helps support the podcast whenever you engage with our sponsors. So if Tape It sounds like an app you'd use, then do us a favour. Pause the episode, head to the link in a recent episode show notes, or visit tape.it forward slash tape notes and give Tape It a go. That's tape.it forward slash tape notes. You can download for free or use the promo code tape notes for 50% off Tape It Pro. Thank you. And now on with the show. Did you do it? Honestly, Tape It is fantastic. All of the Tape Notes team members are complete converts. And excitingly, some of our guests have started to use it as well. So I really would recommend checking it out. So Taxi is the next song we're going to look at. Where's the best starting point with this? Well, again, we could probably start with the drums and percussion because uh, in this one, there was a cowbell Oh, yeah. On the demo, which was prominent. I and, love that uh, cowbell. <laughs> boy, do you love that cowbell. I don't think we ever got the cowbell loud enough You for hated Georgia. that cowbell. So I love that. I cowbell. didn't hate it. I just, uh, it, was, it was very, very, it still is very, very loud. Um, <laughs> do we have the demo? Uh, yeah, I do. Brace and yourselves. Here it is. <laughs> And there's the cowbell. And is that a real cowbell or is that no. Um, no. no. Again, though, I mean, the whole essence of the tune is there. Yeah. Sounds good. I mean, these demos are, are great. How much time do you spend before you start recording a demo? How much time do you spend arranging a song and getting all those elements in place? Because it really sounds like you have everything there mapped out. I think it depends because sometimes songs come to us really quickly and then it will happen in a day. But then sometimes we'll spend it like weeks like adding, no, this line's not right or this is not quite right. And then yeah. you start picking and perfecting. And um, Taxi, 
I think actually took a, a little bit longer because we kept changing the arrangement and stuff like that. We was like, oh, the chorus was always a thing for us. We weren't sure. I felt like we had like a different thing and then... You had the pre-bass line as the chorus. The we worked pre- on that in rehearsal, didn't we? I really loved the melody there. So I think also your structure originally on the second half of the song was different, was more instrumental sections and we wanted mm. to bring more chorus parts in. I remember once... We had the did 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 I think the bit that topped it off was adding the on top during the demo. I feel like then it really cemented how the song was meant to sound. That like extra line that made any sense. The B line and the guitar line. Yeah. So that was the demo, including the cowbell. So what did you think when you heard that then, Jim? Oh, well, I, I love the tune, but as I said, the only concern with this one was just how we structure it so that it kind of developed and we got the best out of the melodies that were there. This one we did mess around with a bit in rehearsal just to sort of nail the, the structure of the tune. But the actual essence of it and the main constituent stuff was all absolutely, well, I loved it when I heard it. And the feel of it, we didn't change at all when we when we started working on it, really. Mm. I'll play you what we ended up with in terms of our sort of drums and percussion from the studio with the cowbell. And is this George again? Yeah, G Mac. Yeah. Again, cowbell, obviously not loud enough. And this time that is real cowbell? Yeah. That's him playing it part of the beat. Then another one comes in here on the. Because we needed more. It's all about the groove. If you don't groove and you don't nod your head, it ain't working. (laughs) Machine gun. gun. (laughs) Now, is that a real machine gun being locked and loaded? Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) And then, obviously, the bass line. And then on the chorus, we doubled up the bass with extra layers just to widen it and make it more intense, which will come in now. The more I'm hearing, the more I'm thinking, in some ways there are parallels with Royal Blood Mm -hmm. in the way that they have a bass guitar playing everything. You know, operating unlike a bass guitar. And that's what you're doing, isn't it, Georgia, really? Yeah, and I remember with this specific chorus, it took us all ages to figure out the tone because it had to be so widespread and it's quite a low riff. We just took ages, like, trying different guitar amps, different bass amps, the DI in there to, like, stack it up so many times to have yeah, that this kind was, of... Yeah, this was the trickiest, probably, wasn't it, to get it to yeah. carry? Yeah, it was. But, it, you know, it ended up being pretty powerful. This is the mix version of it.
how did you evolve this style, Amy and Georgia? I mean, you were you knew each other for a long time. You'd also played in different bands. Am I right in thinking that the different bands you're in also played on the same stages? Uh, you know, you shared bills and and that kind of thing. But mm-hmm. I'm intrigued to know how you get from starting to play an instrument such as the bass guitar or six string guitar, and then you turn that instrument into creating sounds that you don't associate <laughs> with that instrument necessarily. You know, how you go from playing conventionally to establishing and developing your own way of approaching the instrument. I think for us, we never like played conventionally either. Where we didn't draw from like when we was younger, listening to like rock bands and stuff, we were naturally like driven to thinking more like electronic sounds or the hip hop ways of thinking. So um, we just kind of, I don't know, me personally, I was never drawn to playing like typical rock riffs from the start. But then the obviously getting more pedals, it really cemented the more electronic sounds also. Yeah. But why did you pick up those instruments if you were going for those kind of sounds? I'd say, for instance, you know, uh, some of the development of hip hop is based around the equipment that they had, record players, tape decks, and they could create sounds using those because they didn't have the real instruments. So instead they used the samples and used the passages of, of records that they liked to kind of manipulate and develop their own ideas. But you chose those instruments, but then decided to not use them in the way that they were necessarily created for. Um, but you still chose the instrument. Like, why did we choose the bass and guitar? Yeah, if you weren't going to play it conventionally. I think when you start, you do play it more conventionally. Like when we first picked it up, I needed to be able to accompany myself. That's why I picked up the guitar. And it was, I started on an acoustic moved on to electric guitar and did play all the conventional kind of chords and you kind of go through it that way. And then the same with you, G. I remember early days, we weren't, the pedal board was non-existent. It was a bit more conventional, but the lines, for instance, you might've been playing a Destiny's Child synth line on the bass because that's what you was thinking, that's really cool. Mm. And then it became very apparent that it was just like, yeah, like I do enjoy like some rock music. I like punk music as well. And I like different types of music, but when we play what we love together and what it sparks off is just just a natural kind of growth that we just our pedal boards kind of grew we just love production we listen to people like Missy Elliott and people like that where the production is so cool and it's so out there that somehow just bled its way into the instruments and they are made for that I mean loads of people have guitar pedals but they just don't use them out of the box all the time mm. some people do you obviously have your Tom Morellos and your Royal Bloods and Muse but, and, and Muse obviously but I think some people choose to think outside and some people like to do what the pedal does and I think both exist and that's great mm. I think yeah. we gravitate towards like heavy like gnarly riff electronic <laughs> bass where it's like that ravey kind of prodigy kind of prodigy kind of bass lines or dubstep or Skrillex it's that kind of like really heavy but really messed up bass sound. So I think probably that's why I knew the bass would be the right instrument to make what sounds I wanted to create in my head. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, Tom Morello is an interesting case because obviously in the early days of Rage Against Machine, he was trying to emulate scratching from hip hop mm. records mm-hmm. using a guitar. You know, and uh, it's interesting how in some ways that's what you're doing too. You know, you're using your instruments to create 
some of the sounds that you love in other records that might have been created by completely different instruments or equipment. Um, but because those are the tools that you have, you use those tools and create your own sounds in the path that you're trying to go down. No, it's 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 mm. interesting. And then you get something new, you get something unique, you know, that isn't yeah. like anybody else. Surely you get sort of happy accidents as well, where you're messing around with a pedal to do something and something else happens. And you think, oh, that's awesome. Mm. It might not be right for that song, that so but it... Often. But it might yeah. lead to another riff for another song because you would never normally do that mm. with that pedal. I remember we made loads of glitches in the studio as well and we'd keep like the glitch yeah. and put it somewhere like purposeful, yeah. Yeah. which was really cool as well. Or try and make the glitch happen again and it wouldn't. It's <laughs> yeah. like, yeah. why is it not happening to try and make it happen? <laughs> it's not supposed to be clean and perfect. It's supposed to be like a bit scrappy like us, I guess. <laughs> yeah. It makes it cool. sound more live as well. Mm. So going back to Taxi, yeah. what happened next? I guess um, the guitar was an, uh, a layer to help emphasize what was uh, there again. Yeah. You know. Um, I'll play some guitar stuff. Again, that's really synth like, isn't it? And we doubled that, I think. I think that's you just spitting your plectrum against it. I can't remember what that was. And what was really funny about sometimes when you're playing with pitch shift, it lags slightly. So then you have to press ahead of the beat, which we always find sometimes certain the pedals or even like some of the more kind of um, dubbier sounds. It has its own mind sometimes. So it was really about getting the right take and hoping that that one would work for you at the time you know so that was always fun but challenging yeah i'll play another bit actually i think this might demonstrate a bit of that sounds like a violin yeah version of this <laughs> it's got to it does sound it when it's we like this it, it sounds very, it's very dramatic it is yeah so what exactly <laughs> what exactly were we hearing there <laughs> i couldn't even tell you that was that was kind of all the guitars well i mean it's one main riff, but layered in different versions of sounds of the guitar and the bass over the sort of middle eight build and outro. Yeah, I put the bass in there as well, which is doing loads of other things like. Uh... Oh my god! And you want to hear that in context of what it ended up like, which was. Amazing. So it's interesting, isn't it, that um, your love of Missy Elliott and Destiny's Child and the sounds of those records helped you develop the sounds that that you have. But it's amazing that you reacted to all the crazy stuff that was going on in those tunes because they do put all this crazy production in there, you know, really wild ideas. And you reacted to that as fans and wanted to create that craziness 
yourselves everywhere <laughs> yeah which no, i mean so many people if they listen to you know missy elliott or destiny's child or you know hip-hop and r&b in general they'll pick up on different elements they'll pick up on the vocals or the more conventional straight ahead mm. elements but you're listening deeply and hearing all this madness going on in the background which does make those records unique and special and kind of without people realizing it probably makes them even better than the other yeah. examples within those genres um, makes mm. them stand out and cross over and, and have a different kind of appeal but you're picking up on those elements and then introducing that into another world you know the heavy world of guitars mm. and noise and and punk so there was something different about the two of you picking up on those elements and going oh yeah i mean i love that harmony singing but what about those crazy beats? what about that what crazy about... sound in the back yeah i think especially with like timberland's productions you think how why is it so groovy every one of his beats is literally like undeniable grooves mm. so we mm. always especially find early it, days yeah so we found it so interesting like what makes it groove that much and like he has so much stuff in there where it sounds so simplistic but then there's just like a lot going on which makes it so sick mm -hmm. yeah because when you break things down there's so many things that you don't even realize that's there but actually when you really listen on good speakers suddenly you just have this whole like breakdown of like intricate just simp sounds and extra little motifs that are happening and you think oh that's what's making a simple beat sound well, that it's not a simple beat. It, it might appear like that because what you're getting through your speakers is probably just the kick, the snare and the synth line in between. But when you really listen, there's so much more that happens in these. And I think that's why it's so much fun with the pedals and adding these extra bit of sonic sounds in there because that's what it's like on the hip hop records as well, you know, but people just don't realise yeah, it. Yeah, you just hit it on the head. I think it's you're picking up on the same kind of spirit that was in Timberland's and Neptune's minds when they were borrowing from other genres and other sounds and putting it in whatever they were working on. I think you're doing the same thing. You're mm. not just, if a tune's a rocky tune, you're not just going, what would a rock band do? Mm. You're putting it in with other genres, you know, with hip hop tunes, whatever. Yeah. And that's what makes it interesting. You're picking up on other stuff to put in a certain kind of vibe of a tune. You're putting other influences into it. Yeah, exactly. Which is the same as what you liked from back in the day. Yeah, yeah. that is true. And then when you come to writing words to these pieces, I'm kind of assuming that these grooves kick it all off and then the words come afterwards or do you develop grooves from a vocal line ever i think a lot of the time it could come from definitely like the bass line and the beat sometimes no you know sometimes it would just be like an idea that stems off but generally i think for that album we literally i think the drums and the rhythm and playing and the syncopation was a lot to do with it you know having that kind of relationship with the kick the snare and then the kind of rappy vocals but you don't go in for long-winded raps <laughs> one of a better no. phrase do you know what i mean no. I mean, it's not really long verses followed by more no. really long verses no because i think we're so much like you said when you hear us it's like a big wall of just like Bleh! So I feel like we just do it in small doses because that's what feels right for that type of energy, you know? Mm. We can't wait to get to the chorus. We can't wait to get to the big B line, do you know what I mean? Or the big kind of, just generally the drums or anything, we can't wait to get to it. And you hear that in the music. We're in the verses and we're just chilling. And then suddenly we're like, yes, the chorus is coming. The chorus <laughs> is coming. And 
you know, and I'm, we're guessing maybe the audience feel like that too, and, you know, it's just how we feel. Yeah, but a verse is where the groove is as well. I do yeah, love that's verse. why we're sitting there and chilling on it. <laughs> <laughs> I think what Amy did really well in Taxi is using like different dynamics in her voice, and it really shows the journey of the song because the song was based around an idea of like a music video. When we was writing it, we had in mind this crazy car chase video a really action-packed song that's why it had machine gun noises in it it had like a massive explosion at the end so when we're chilling in the car at this point at the beginning visualizing what the video is going to be her voice sounds like that mood and it sounds like you're in a cadillac and it sounds like you could have palm trees everywhere and then the chorus she explodes into it and it's like the car chase happens and i think she's just really good at creating that energy for her voice would we be able to hear that jim any particular section you want to hear? Maybe the second verse. Yeah, no. sure. The driving. <laughs> yeah, but that bit's the bit I imagine when I'm just like, and then it's like, I'm going to touch you down. in pink Cadillacs, you're moving slow at driving fast. In the trunk, hands are your back. We're going to take all that you have. I'm going to take your crown. I remember those vocoders took us forever yeah, to, to find, find the, the right, right vocoder sound. It sure did. Jim, I swear <laughs> you came down to South East London and we I borrowed know. George's dad's vocoder because he's a, a musician himself and he loves a good vocoder. Yeah. I swear you, we were doing it there, weren't we? As we well? did it all. We tried everything. Yeah, we ended up with this, but it took a while just to get a it little took bit a of that. Well, yeah, because I, lo I love that. It reminded me, I mean, it's nothing like it, but it kind of reminded me of that Beastie Boys Intergalactic thing, even though that's more of a lead part. But I wanted it to sound kind of roboty and slightly detached from the track but without it being just obviously just a vocoder so we did yeah. mess around quite a lot and we ended up with these kind of vocoding sounds on it and then you put it in with the other voices so just try and get it to sort of stand out to a little bit yeah and so it ended up like this I wanted to sort of to sound distinct from the lead vocal, but not sound sort of too gimmicky. So I hope we did that. <laughs> we did. No, we found it. it we found good. the balance, the happy balance. <laughs> yeah, sounds amazing. How much does uh, your family background or setting influence your music or has influenced your music? So Georgia, if your dad does make music, was that something that was around you and that you instinctively started to make music yourself? Yeah, like he taught me how to play the piano when I was really young. And then when I said I want to play bass, he taught me like um, how to play the bass. I think the main thing they did was basically just say, whatever your ideas are, just go with it. No matter how crazy, no matter how wild, just figure it out and just be, you know, don't follow any norm, don't just conform. be you. Just, yeah, don't conform. Yeah, and just gave us the tools, showed me how to use Logic, you know, sharing his laptop for a while, which he probably hated because I was like, I want to go on it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it was definitely um, great having them there, kind of supporting us 
but just letting us create at the same time, just being like the wilder it is, the better, just go for it. And Amy, do you have a family musical background? Um, no, my family have all been really, really supportive. Um, my aunt was the one who encouraged me to sing. She's like, you should just do it from a very young age. Just always kind of encouraged me to do whatever I wanted. And my mum was really just, again, whatever makes you happy, Amy, you should go and do it. So I was just mm. lucky just to have the full support. G's dad actually, again, he taught me guitar, showed me a few chords. I was like, get on with it, go and practice. And that was it. You're on your own, do it. <laughs> yeah. Am I, am I right in thinking that your families knew each other? Yeah. My brother knew you at college. Yeah. So they went to college together and that's how I met Amy. Right. Yeah. And you was actually in a band with him for a while. Yeah. <laughs> Back in the day. Yeah, I know, I know. It's very <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but like family friends, mm. basically. So, yeah. Excellent. Right, well, from Taxi, we're going to look at Playfair. And Playfair is different to the other two in that George isn't on the drums. You've got Tim mm-hmm. on the drums, Tim Nugent. And you were explaining right at the start of our conversation how the two bring different qualities to different tracks. Yeah. Yep. So what did Tim hear? I mean, you, you've explained how you often start by working on a rhythm track, um, creating something that you can then work upon. So did you have something for Tim to work from? Tim, yeah, he had a demo as well. So we demo them all, then we send them to the drummers. the drummers. And then they learn the demo, then we go into rehearsals and whatever they're like, this is, you know, what they can't play off the demo where it's me tapping out too many toms or whatever. We'll find a way that still sounds like the demo, but everybody's happy and Tim's just really good at creating space as well he doesn't like overplay he just really locks in with the groove and creates a more kind of electronic sound I guess and he's a bit more hip-hoppy so that's why he really sat well with Playfair. And do we have a demo that we could hear? Yes we do have a demo. Oh god. It's slower. Yeah, I think, yeah. I think we took it up a BPM or two. So in this demo, who is playing the drums on that? It's a keyboard. Right, so that's your keyboard drums that you would have shown Tim, like, this is what we're working on, this is the song, you go and work something up in a rehearsal studio. Because that's the next stage, isn't it? You send Tim that, he works on that. So all the demos will have keyboard drums. Yeah. I mean, they sound big, don't they, really? No, those... They sound huge. Just on the keyboard, that's incredible. Um, But when you heard the demo then, Jim, what did you think? Right, how are we going to approach this? Well, this one, I think, in terms of the sonics of it, Sounded really good as a demo. And uh, it was how do you get it to be as powerful, actually, with a live kit? Because live kits, you have to manipulate them to kind of make them sound mm. as huge as you can make samples sometimes. Um, and it's actually quite difficult. So this one was really how do we get the – it's going to play the same kind of beat. How do we get that to be huge and epic sounding without being kind of pompous? So that was quite tricky just from a Sonics point of view. 
how did we get around that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we just kind of used some distant mics, compressed them. In my studio, we've got a balcony, so we put some mics up there and distorted them. And we got something sort of in the same area as the demo, which sounds a bit like this. And we added some more tuned cymbals in there. But also on this track, on the verses, the girls are putting the bits of programming, percussion sounds, so we needed to incorporate them as well. So the, the verses end up as a combination. I'll just play that. So yeah, so we want to do a combination, which I'll play now, which is a mixture of what they had on the demo and some new things and the big drums. Sounds like this. And I will just play that in the final version so you can hear it in context. usually different from that demo again but just mm. try to make it a, a, an element of performance in there keep the distortion and the attitude i think those electronic drum sounds in the verses are really important as well the hybrid of the two the live drum and the electronic drums it's kind of a theme through all of our songs i think to have that hybrid sound yeah yeah definitely <laughs> and that's where people think that you're using track because it's so well married together mm. Like live, Tim will just play those on a pad. It'll be like, dun, mm. dun, dun, ch, mm. which is cool. Yeah. So also on this one, in the middle eight, we'd started messing around with putting the drums through George's pedal board. Oh, yeah. It sounded really cool. So on the middle eight, this is um, Tim's drums and Georgia performing on her pedal board. I remember the video footage for that where you're literally pressing it with your hands, you're cross-legged yeah. at the back of Jim's studio. I remember your face kind of, you had your tongue sticking out and you was, I won't say what pedal, but I remember which one. You're just pressing it down. Yeah. And each time the squeaks, the squawks got higher and your face would look more madder. Like, yeah, yeah. but Because we were so cool. like, we didn't know that was even a thing. When Jim was like, oh, we could put the drum for your pedal board. And we're like, what do you mean? <laughs> like, and it was just crazy. It's a shame it we did fun. that at the end because we ended up doing it on everything. Wouldn't we? I know. <laughs> <laughs> but it's almost like a dub remix of the rhythm, isn't it? No, yeah. Like, Absolutely. It's like scientists. Is that yeah. yeah, it was fun. So those are the drums put through uh, George's pedal board. Um, what other elements should we be highlighting? Oh, I know. I love the bit when Amy goes like, uh, yeah. into the chorus. And I was just like, loving that idea i've never heard somebody use a croak to join the two and it was just like such a clever idea but here uh, it is weird in your face. <laughs> <laughs> 
which in context <laughs> ends up sounding like this. That does sound so great. I mean, that's the interesting thing about vocals. Say if you take a, a band like Young Fathers, and obviously they've got you know some very uh, highly charged lyrics, but also their delivery, just the, the way that they can do a croak or just a vocal <laughs> utterance can somehow carry weight and meaning, even though mm. it might not actually be a word. But in that instance with you, Amy, that just seems to lend a certain quality to the vocal performance somehow. Yeah, I think I've I've always kind of liked vocalists that kind of mess with their voices a bit, like use it more as an instrument. It's just like the same with the guitar or the bass. You can slap it, you can pluck it, you can, you mm. know, make harmonics jump out at you, you know. And it's, I think it's the same with the vocals when you listen to singers like Kate Bush and Betty Davis and um, even Santa Gold, who really would just use their voice and manipulate it. I just found that really interesting and... It's just something that it's just fun to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it sounds great. And so, I mean, I get the impression, Georgia, you really vibe off what Amy's doing at times. You know, I love this idea that the two of you are getting kind of blown away by each other's performances and, and the way that <laughs> each of you approach your own instrument in different ways and find something new with it each time. It's literally that. Like, it it's funny. so fun. Oh, it was so fun writing this album because we'd literally be like, ah, oh, that's sick. We'll be like, yeah. And yeah, whenever Amy's like recording a really heavy vocal in the booth as well, makes me like cry. It's really weird. Wait, it's so <laughs> it's triggered. I'm like, yeah, girl, sing. You sing. <laughs> we are funny. And I think that's what it is with us in the chemistry. We kind of just egg each other on. So when one does something, it's funny because it's our own kind of little language we've developed together. So when one does something, it's like, and we're really feeling it, we're, we're, we're with that person 100% fully in. And that's what it's about. I think whatever we're bringing to the table and it feels right, that's always the jackpot for us. Mm. And that's when the song becomes alive. Until that point, it doesn't, otherwise we won't use it. Like when we're not kind of dancing, if we're not jumping, if we're not like gassing ourselves up and being ridiculous. <laughs> if people saw us, we'll be like, oh yeah, that's sick. We'll be people saying <laughs> we're so gassed from this interview. I like shut up on about yourself <laughs> but it's our little bubble and that's what it's about we kind of encourage each other to be kind of weirder and whatever the results are is usually Ooh. the happy outcome yeah. for us anyway yeah. <laughs> not for everybody I guess and we're lucky there's two of us because some bands have to go between four oh five. my god I don't know how people do that literally but this is a sweet setup right here this yeah. is just like <laughs> best friends just like making I'm, music I'm, it's I'm so touching easy wood. touch wood Georgia touch wood yeah, but all the new stuff's lit. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, don't listen to Can't us. Wait. We forget we're in it. public sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Would it be possible to hear Playfair built up, Jim? Absolutely. Uh, here goes. So that's Tim with the uh, playing of- everything in. Yeah. Or puts the bass line in with it. Another layer of extra distorted bass coming in. Mm-hmm. 
Then we'll stick the guitar in. It's as if as each section comes in, it's like you've killed everybody, but you're not content with killing them. You're kind of killing them further. It's like, you know. <laughs> yeah. One interesting thing about the conversation today is how clear it shows that the elements are quite simple. You know, the three ingredients, the drums, the bass, the guitar. And yet when you hear the whole album or you hear a whole track, it's so much more overwhelming than that. But the essence is really simple in mm. a way. Well, yeah, it's just the free instruments there. There's mm. no tricks or smoke or anything, just what it is. <laughs> I think this is like our take on like a dubstep song because where it sounds so electronic we should build from the middle late because the bass sounds really really dubby like we kind of build up and really get into like the pedal effects and the kind of electronic sounding bass and guitar there so check that out okay sure here it goes so starting with the bass line and then the drums will come in with those pedal affected drums and some singing. And the guitar solo. wig out of pedals <laughs> yeah, <that was> crazy. <laughs> yeah i feel like we work really well to entwine the yeah. bass and guitar because kind of like we both had a solo at the same time but they didn't mm. affect each other it really was like a, a dance mm. of the lines mm. and i think sonically where i'm always so high and even though you actually pitch from being super like subby and low into the high realms i think mm. we just kind of sit in these two frequencies and like you said, kind of just dance around and it seems to work. Totally. It's such a great sound. It's been absolutely fascinating unraveling this sound and getting into the the essence of it and how you create those sounds and how you then created them with Jim. I mean, it, it must have been really exciting hearing them fully realised in the way that you did with Jim, you know, going through that whole experience of getting to a proper studio with a proper producer as you say, who just seemed to arrive uninvited into your email. <laughs> it was definitely it was so fake. And we never heard our songs sound that huge no. before. Even hearing it back through like Jim's billion of speakers and subs in the room, we were just like, whoa, we couldn't believe it. I wouldn't change a thing. It was just so great for us. It was a great experience. Everybody at the studio was just incredible. Just doing your first album, having such a great experience when you hear such horror stories, especially, no offence, Jim, but when you hear like about big producers, <laughs> sometimes you're a bit like, oh, some people have an ego or they're a bit mm. crazy. But Jim was just like a chill guy. <laughs> yeah, Jim was you great. Know, it was just 
easy. It was just like butter. And it was, um, yeah, I would highly, highly, if you can get hold of him, <laughs> if you can, I'm definitely, definitely just great. And we love the album. It was so um, Yeah, the whole experience was top. It sounds, Jim, that you were intrigued by what Nova Twins were creating. And that's why you kind of reached out to them because you were excited by it and enjoyed it. But you're also puzzled and intrigued to work out just how they created what they create. Is that right? Oh, 100%. And the more time we spent together, the more um, the layers I could kind of get into more things within their sound. And what was also great was they were really strong in their opinions. They would listen to me in terms of, can we improve this? How do we make this section more exciting? But they had really strong ideas about what they wanted to do. So it was really fun, but it was also a challenge because as we've kept saying through this and you've picked up on a few times, it is simple in terms of the arrangement. It's three instruments playing in different combinations, but actually getting that to be an engaging listen over 10 songs of an album is quite a challenge because so many things have been done before, so many techniques have been done before. And I don't think I've, well, certainly when I've heard them for the first time, I hadn't heard anyone putting the influences together in this way before, using the instruments in the way they use them, and then talking about the subjects they're talking about. So it was an amazing combination and a challenge to me to do things sometimes in a very different way to I maybe I would have approached other productions. And I think a lot of, actually, even though we're different ages and grown up in different genres and different sorts of music in our lives, there was a lot of common things, actually, that we loved. I love the era of R&B that the girls were talking about earlier with Timberland and Neptunes. At the time, was the most creative form of music that I was hearing. And I grew up loving punk music. That's what got me into doing this job. And there's loads more of stuff in their influences, but... Those two kind of core ideas sort of go through it all. And I totally identified with what they were trying to do and just hoped that we could make something that they'd mm. be proud of in the end. And we yeah. were. And we were. We love it. And we, we still are. love it. <laughs> Before I let you go, there are a couple of questions we like to ask everybody who comes on the podcast. One of which, which I think will be quite relevant, is about a piece of kit. Um, do you have a favourite piece of kit, Amy or Georgia, that you always use or recommend or hold dear <laughs> i mean it's interesting because these pedal boards of yours seem so crucial to what you're all about and secret yes but that's yes. yeah you can't, can't how much can you reveal <laughs> not very much i can probably reveal one thing off my pedal board because it's not actually a pedal <laughs> the it's, tuna. A, it's a bypass looper so at the front of my pedal board it's this long plank with about 10 buttons on it that all connect to a pedal. So if you're playing live on stage and one pedal fails, it's not like a daisy chain link where the whole pedal board will die. So it kind of cancels out. Every pedal's got an individual socket, basically. And that's what I hopscotch on. Right. Very generous of me. But yeah, yeah, it's very generous. <laughs> I can't really give away pedals. I don't have a looper. And I don't have some fancy mic either. <laughs> You know, and I'm now playing a different guitar to the one we used in the studio, the Gretsch. So, which I, I love. I've got a new pink. <laughs> Look, I'll show you, Jim. Mm. <laughs> the listeners can't see, but it's like a Cadillac pink. Oh, nice. I got Ooh, yeah. my pink Mustang nice. with P90 pickup. Sounds fat. You'll love yeah. it. Big up Fender. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I don't really um, 
Yeah, I can't really say, to be honest. <laughs> I love the secrecy. Jim, I mean, piece of kit. Do you have any things that you always recommend to anybody who might be starting out? Oh, <laughs> wow. Good pedals. I'm massively into pedals. <laughs> I think actually the starting point for loads of things that I do, bands are often surprised when I say bring all your own stuff because that's the starting point. I think a lot of people think that they're going to come to the studio and I'm just going to provide them with better quality versions of what they have. And yeah, sure, we have loads of great pieces of kit, whether they're instruments or pedals or anything else here. But that's not the starting point because normally bands, by the time they get to the studio, are probably quite frustrated with their gear because they've used it for a long time. But they also have used it, to, if they're good and they're creative, they've used it to the max and they've done things on it which are uniquely them. So I think get the most out of your limited set of kit, whatever it is, try everything on it. Try plugging things in different things and seeing what happens because you'll do something that's unique to you. And then if then you come to the studio and something's just not big enough sounding or fat or whatever the word is, we've got stuff here that can help that. So no one piece of kit, just I th would encourage people to mess about with their own gear and try lots of different combinations themselves. That's my, my favourite yeah. bit of kit. Yeah. yeah. Nice. In a way, that's a piece of advice. And that is the next question that we like to end on, which is, do you have any advice for people or... Did you get given a piece of advice that you've always thought, actually, that was a really good pointer? That was something I really value. I think um, in terms of advice that I would give is just mm. don't rush. I think a lot of people are in this rush to quickly make it. You know, oh God, we've been a band for this long now. We're not going to get anywhere. But me and George have been a band for like next year. We're going on seven years. Like it's a good time. It's a long time. And um, we just took our time and found our own kind of foot in in our own voice even though maybe people at first might have said because you will at the beginning you're going to have a lot of opinions people will tell you what you should sound like and maybe what you should do give yourself the time to work it out yourself and feel confident so once you're 100% confident you're then able to take on constructive criticism but if you don't have that confidence to start with you'll never end up where you need to be because you've never fully developed yourself yet. And we had the time. We we're very lucky that George's parents are musicians and that they helped us have the time by just being like, do what you need to do. We're not going to say anything. Just get up there. As long as you've been productive, we don't care. Do it. A lot of people want the first management that come along or the first record deal that comes along. But if you just hold out and make sure you're just 100% sure that's your sound, that's what you want to do, and then you can move on. But just take your time. There's no rush. Mm. <laughs> Mine would be find a way to record yourself and your ideas, whether it's Logic or GarageBand or whatever software you want to use. Just make sure that you have a way of putting all your ideas into one place because then nobody can say anything against your idea because you've clearly mapped it out. You won't lose any ideas in that process. And it's just a better form of communication as well. Yeah, and it will have spurred you on because you'll be analyzing and questioning your own ideas before you then share them exactly. with other people yeah yeah you can really break down your own ideas and filter out what was rubbish or good before you even show other people and jim do you have any more advice for people i mean i keep tapping you up for advice oh i couldn't say it better than the girls have said i think they're both great great pieces of advice don't rush experiment try things and um mm. if you come up with something great it will get noticed don't be desperate i know i'll go on georgia what advice would you give new bands coming into a big studio situation? 
how to act proper how to act or how to be <laughs> or what what do they need to do Oh, be yourselves. I mean, you were yourselves, weren't you? I mean, it felt like within a couple of days, it was a just extra members of your little mm. gang. I think it's easy to say relax because it can be an intimidating atmosphere, and you're you hear things under the magnifying glass. To use a cliche phrase because you can hear everything in what you're doing. But um, if you get on with the people, I think it's important that you have at least some rapport with people before you go in the studio with them. And if you get on well, I think try and get to the point where you're feeling as much like you were recording at home as you can. Try and make it into an extension of what you normally mm. do. So yeah, communicate with the people you're with and yeah, try and relax. It's been so good doing this episode with you. Thank you so much for taking the time out and uh, preparation and all that kind of stuff that is involved because it's absolutely fascinating to be able to hear them and it's been amazing to hear the Nova Twin sound unraveled before our very ears. Oh, um, and massive thank you to you, John, yeah, thanks, before John. you go, because you supported the record, you've been playing it, and uh, we really appreciate that because without the radio DJs like yourself playing it, people don't hear it, you know, unless we play live and we're not doing that. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, thanks so much for having us. It's a real pleasure. And you, Jim, thank you. Always a pleasure. We should play out with one more song. So another selection from the album, or do you want us to play more Playfair? What, what do you reckon? Oh, God. <laughs> I was going to say, let's end go? on the end of Athena, because that's the end of the album. Okay, why not? Let's delve and dive into Athena. Thank you so much for delving and diving into Who Are The Girls, uh, Amy, Georgia, Jim. It's been brilliant to talk to you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you have a moment, do tell your friends and leave us a review. It all really helps. Thanks to those of you who have already donated to the show. I'm just one part of the team that brings you tape notes. It relies on your support. If you'd like to donate, please head to our website. To ask a question on a future episode or find out who's coming up, head to our socials and on Instagram you can see pictures from the recording sessions for each episode of Tape Notes. Thank you for listening. Until next time, goodbye.